It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 3 August Fenwick sat at a long table surrounded by the city's early additions. He was dressed in an elegant morning robe, though the strength of the sunlight that poured through the windows suggested that it might be closer to noon, despite the breakfast trappings that still littered the table in the large and airy room. And while he looked like the very picture of indolence and idle wealth, Fenwick pored over the crime reports and the dailies spread out before him with the intensity of a predator on the hunt. For August Fenwick lived a double life— the only son of the city's wealthiest family, he had grown to manhood secure in his privilege and his place. Not even the monster of a depression that had torn so many lives asunder could shake the Fenwick fortune. He came from a long line of men, born to great wealth, who spent the balance of their lives amassing still more, and August Fenwick was never expected to be anything more or less than the latest branch on that tree of greed. Instead, he had chosen to devote his life to justice— to walk a road of danger and fight against impossible odds as the champion of those oppressed by these desperate times. He had trained his body to the peak of fitness and his mind in a dozen disciplines, and when at last he felt himself ready he had made an outlaw of himself, as any man must who truly fights for the honest citizen. Behind a crimson mask he lived a life of secret adventure as the Red Panda, but as devoted as he was to his work, mornings came early and were not always kind." From the door to his left there was a small noise. Fenwick ignored it and continued reading, searching for any clue that might set him upon the scent of crime, and finding little but padded column inches in every paper in town. Toronto was enjoying a quiet spell. That much seemed certain. The small noise came again and seemed to last a little longer. Fenwick's eyebrows furrowed in annoyance. The noise came once again, and was finally distinct enough for it to occur to him it was the sound of a man clearing his throat. Fenwick dropped his paper, and the man who had made the noise jumped in response. It was one of the young men of his household, with an older man behind him dressed in a conservative black suit and holding a bowler hat in his hand. Fenwick frowned. He wasn't expecting any bankers. "'Yes?' he asked. The young man squirmed. "'Begging your pardon, sir,' he began. "'But a Mr. Weston is here, sir. About the position.' Fenwick blinked at the servant and said nothing. "'The head butler, sir,' the young man said. "'Mr. Sterling's replacement.' "'Ah!' Fenwick considered the older man in a new light. His face was calm and impassive and graced with an extremely well-cared-for moustache. There was no note of surprise upon his face at finding the master of the house in his dressing gown, surrounded by newspapers, or still at breakfast at this hour. This struck Fenwick as an acceptable way to begin. He didn't mind being disapproved of.' He just didn't care to hear about it. He snapped the newspaper, making the young man jump again, and thrust the crime report to one side. Right, he said. Show him in. The young man made an impossibly awkward display of not quite knowing what to do since Mr. Weston was already in. At last he waved his hand as if showing Weston into the room, and Weston took another step forward, effectively letting the young man off the hook. The young man smiled at Weston wanly and retired immediately. The older man stood quietly, awaiting his prospective employer's inquiry. "'Weston, you say?' Fenwick began, without getting up. "'Yes, sir,' the older man said with a pleasant nod. "'I know you, don't I?' Fenwick said with a pull at his coffee, which had grown stone-cold. "'We have 
"'Mad.' Weston smiled as if pleased. "'We have indeed, sir.' "'The gardener's,' Fenwick said, recalling it at last. "'You're the gardener's man.' Weston nodded. "'I was so for many years, sir,' he agreed. "'That's quite a household,' Fenwick said, putting down his cup and pushing it away. "'A large staff, a lot of responsibility.' "'Yes, sir.' He didn't exactly smile, but his mustache moved, and Fenwick could tell that he was pleased. "'So what happened?' Fenwick asked, leaning back in his chair. "'Sir?' The mustache settled in quite a different place, and Fenwick felt sure that the smile was gone. "'A man of your experience does not come on the job market very often, Mr. Weston,' Fenwick said casually. "'So what happened?' Weston shifted slightly. "'I could not say, sir,' he said. Fenwick smiled. Come now, he said. We're both men of the world. Was there some sort of scandal? Weston's eyes grew grave. No, sir, he said simply. There was no conflict to be seen in those eyes, no indignation at suggestion of impropriety, no outward sign of anything but that he simply did not know the answer to the question, which was a lie, but a noble one. Fenwick had thought to press this a little further, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. "'Or is it just possible that the gardener's estate has been foreclosed at last?' Fenwick asked calmly. "'I could not say, sir,' Weston said again. "'No, but I can,' Fenwick said. "'I've known the gardeners since I was a boy. "'They have had great difficulty, but they speak the world of you. "'And in spite of the fact that the household you spent your life in service to "'quite suddenly evaporated through no fault of your own, "'and that positions are not as plentiful as they once were,' you still could not bring yourself to discuss their financial problems with a relative stranger. Weston said nothing. All right, Fenwick nodded. That seems just as it should be. But I don't mind telling you, Mr. Weston, we've had no end of trouble with butlers lately, and I find myself a little sick and tired of the subject. You knew Thompson? Indeed I did, sir, if only casually. Thompson had been the head butler at the Fenwick estate for decades, Though he was much older than Weston, their positions would have made them social equals. He asked me to help him find a position in the country, Fenwick said, for his health. Yes, sir, Weston replied. And to be quite candid, Fenwick said, by the time he went I wasn't sorry to see the back of him. No, sir, Weston said simply. Fenwick regarded Weston again for a moment, trying to tell, without resorting to the mental powers of his alter ego, if the older man knew of his running conflicts with Thompson, or was simply being agreeable. He honestly couldn't tell. The man seemed quite inscrutable. And Sterling, his replacement, departed for a post in Montreal, which I was extremely pleased to help him arrange. Fenwick smiled, but his meaning was entirely clear. One of them should try to be entirely clear, or it wouldn't be much of a conversation. Sterling had worn out his welcome at the Fenwick mansion with a speed that would be the subject of conversation for many years— at least among people with an interest in such things, and had taken a considerably more junior position in another city by the end of it all. Weston had to be aware of all of this. "'To be frank,' Fenwick said, settling back in his chair, "'I am strongly considering not staffing the position at all, and just be done with it.' Weston raised an eyebrow, but stood quietly for a moment. "'Permission to speak freely, sir,' he said at last. "'It was a formal request, and a bit military, but following upon Weston's inscrutability, Fenwick found frankness an impossible prospect to resist. "'Yes, all right,' he said. "'Please understand, sir, it is not a privilege which I request lightly. May I ask you several questions, sir?' Fenwick nodded. 
"'What would you say was the approximate temperature of the coffee in that cup, sir?' Weston asked. Fenwick smiled and said nothing. "'And exactly how long have you been allowed to sit surrounded by your breakfast leavings?' Weston asked, his moustache bristling. Fenwick raised an eyebrow of his own. "'I frequently rise late, Mr. Weston,' he said, "'and choose upon occasion to take considerable time with the newspapers upon doing so. "'Forgive me, sir,' Weston began. "'My problem was not with you sitting.' or your presence at the table. A man may sit and read the paper in his own home for as long as he pleases, but he need not compete for space with dirty dishes while he does so. Fenwick looked around and saw that it was true. Nothing had been cleared, and it had been quite some time. "'They have taken to clearing the table when I am finished,' Fenwick said. "'I dare say they have,' Weston said. "'I imagine they have taken to doing a number of things which you have not yet had cause to take notice of. "'A head butler!' is more than a manservant. He is a commanding officer, the head of the household staff. I always imagined that I was the head of the household staff, Fenwick said dryly. Weston nodded. And when the household is running smoothly, that is just how you should feel, he said. But when things begin to go off the rails and it becomes clear that you do not know exactly what is wrong or who is responsible for it, that is when you realize that this is not a position for which you are trained, in which you have an interest, or to which you have sufficient hours in the day to properly devote. Fenwick smiled. He was beginning to like this one. Example, he said. The young man who showed me in, Weston said without missing a beat. Can you tell me his name, sir? I believe it is David, Fenwick said. It may indeed be so, sir, Weston nodded. However, he introduced himself to me as Roger. Ah, Fenwick said, well, I'm sure there is a David somewhere. Yes, sir, Weston said, his moustache waggling ever so slightly. Do you know what his job is? Fenwick frowned. Roger, he asked. Weston nodded. Or David, either one, he said. There was a small pause. He is a footman, Fenwick said at last. "'Very good, sir,' Weston smiled. "'I think that might have been a bit of a guess, but yes, he is indeed a footman. "'Can you tell me what a footman does?' "'There was no reply, but Fenwick was still smiling. "'And if you do not know, how will you know if Roger is doing it or not?' "'Weston was gaining steam now. "'And if he does not, will you fire David in response?' Fenwick crossed his arms and sat back still further in his chair. "'It has been but a short time since Mr. Sterling departed,' Weston said, "'and already things are not being done, and others are not being done properly. "'Footmen are rather awkwardly showing people unannounced into a room with dishes upon the table, "'and forgive me, sir, if I have the impression that you had quite forgotten about this meeting, "'and there is no reason why you should not have. "'It is someone's job to remind you. "'It is someone's job to to ensure that your large and efficient staff do their jobs to the very best of their abilities, knowing that someone is watching and taking personal responsibility to the master for the quality of their work. That is what I do, Mr. Fenwick. And whether or not you wish for me to do it here, you need someone to do it, sir. You need it rather badly. As long as we are speaking frankly, Weston, Fenwick said, leaning forward in his chair and resting his arms upon the table before him, I wonder... "'What you know about the real source of the conflict "'between Sterling, Thompson, and myself?' "'Weston bristled slightly. "'I'm not certain it is entirely proper.' "'It is more than proper,' Fenwick said. "'It is necessary.' 
I am not a gossip, Mr. Fenwick, the older man protested. Of course not, Fenwick said, but one hears things. And it isn't gossip if you're actually talking to me about it. Come now. Let us speak as men do. Weston regarded the young man calmly. You have a lady driver, sir, he began. Miss Baxter, I believe. I have not seen her, but I am told that to simply describe her as pretty is an understatement that borders upon the cruel. Weston, Fenwick said, you have a touch of the poet in your soul. The moustache waggled again. Never, he protested. As your driver, she is compelled to keep your hours and spend many of those hours alone with you, unsupervised. Yes, she is, Fenwick said, and does. Mr. Sterling and Mr. Thompson found that impossible to accept, Weston said. They did, Fenwick agreed. It is, of course, Weston continued, entirely proper that when a household is running smoothly, the master never need consider the sheer volume of grown men and women living under his roof. But even among a professional staff, personal complications can arise, complications which can reflect poorly upon the household and very poorly indeed upon the head of the staff. Fenwick's tone became quite flat. I suppose they can, he said. "'And therein lies my objection to the behaviour of Mr. Thompson and Mr. Sterling,' Weston said. Fenwick started slightly. This was an unexpected change of gears. "'How so?' he asked. "'In voicing their objections concerning Miss Baxter, sir, they were protecting themselves,' Weston said simply. "'If they had legitimate cause for concern, they should have been protecting the girl.' Fenwick stared at the older man in mild wonder and said nothing. "'Miss Baxter was not raised in service, was she?' Weston asked. "'I understand she drove a, a taxicab previously. "'She supports her mother, does she not?' "'She does,' Fenwick said quietly. "'I believe,' Weston said, "'and I have no great proof of this, "'but I believe that when you dismissed Thompson and Sterling, "'who wished to be rid of the girl, "'you were protecting her from them. "'Which sounds quite right to me.' "'Fenwick said nothing, less by choice than by simple astonishment.' "'While we are speaking frankly, Mr. Fenwick, I will ask you a question that I will, should I serve as your man, never repeat.' Weston met Fenwick's gaze and held it. "'Has there ever been anything improper between yourself and Miss Baxter?' "'There has not,' Fenwick said evenly. "'Nothing to which the girl's mother would object?' Fenwick was fairly certain that Mrs. Baxter would object quite strenuously to most of her daughter's activities as the Flying Squirrel, but he also knew this was not what Weston was asking. "'Nothing,' he said simply. Weston nodded. "'Very good, sir,' he said. "'Were I in your service, I would not let my position prevent me from protecting her should I feel it was necessary to do so. I would be quite prepared to accept the consequences were it so, and do not feel likely that we should ever have need to speak of this again.' The two men regarded one another in silence for a moment, until a cheerful whistling tune could be heard coming up the hall. The tune rolled into the room like a beam of sunshine, and with it came Kit Baxter, immaculately dressed in her grey chauffeur's uniform, her long red hair tucked up into her cap in a slightly haphazard and entirely appealing fashion. "'Mornin', boss!' she sang before her eyes quite adjusted to the bright light pouring in through the windows and spotted the second man present. August Fenwick turned his head to acknowledge her. "'Miss Baxter,' he said simply, "'this is Mr. Weston, the new butler.' She smiled brightly at the introduction, and if the wattage of her grin faded slightly at the final sentence, she tried not to show it. "'Oh, hello,' she said. "'Good morning, miss,' Weston said with a courteous nod, betraying no surprise at all at the suddenness of his new position. 
There was a small, slightly awkward pause. Um, your mail was on the little table in the hall, she said. I reckon somebody ought to bring it to you. She stepped into the room and held out the sheaf of letters. She paused a moment as if uncertain who to hand them to until Weston calmly indicated the master with a very slight nod. Quite right, miss, Weston said as Fenwick began to flip through the mail. That will not happen again, sir, he said. I have no doubt, Weston, I have no... Fenwick began before his attention was caught by a small postcard which sat unimpressively in the middle of the pile of correspondence. Kit could see the sudden transformation, the lazy playboy routine dropping for just an instant replaced by a sudden flash in the eyes of the red panda. But she said nothing. It was Fenwick who broke the silence. "'In fact, I am quite certain you would like to begin your duties right away, Weston,' he said, rising and casting away his robe. "'And I know that I have appointments to keep. Is the car ready, Kit?' he asked, already past her and halfway out the room. "'Always,' she said with an awkward wave at Weston before trotting along behind her boss toward the great staircase leading down to the front doors. She caught up with him just as the footman, who might have been Roger or David, raced to bring Fenwick his day-coat, hat, and stick, and as such she was obliged to hold her tongue until they were out the door. "'You want to let me in on the big news?' she asked quietly and without looking directly at him. She stepped in front of him and opened the rear passenger door of the great black car, and he pressed a slightly battered penny postcard into her hand as he climbed in. The card bore far more postage than one might have expected, suggesting the seemingly unimportant message had been sent with all possible speed. The picture on the front was of the Imperial Hotel in Cairo, though the postmark did not suggest it had been mailed from the hotel itself. Kit closed the door and began to walk toward the driver's side, playing the part of the trusty chauffeur for any who might be watching as she flipped the card over. On the back was a simple message in a flowing hand, nothing that would have seemed remarkable, but it stopped her in her tracks. "'Wish you were here,' it read. "'M.F.' Thank you for listening to Thursday Thrillers right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual Feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series. Saturday Story Circle, for kids and families alike. And Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.